Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I am Brother Christopher assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be the Messiah's first message, brothers and sisters. The Messiah's first message. Brothers and sisters, one of the things I learned um, over the years is that the neglected part of the Bible is the gospel. The gospel is the neglected part of the Bible. For Christians, the only part of the Bible they read is Galatians and Romans and Acts and Corinthians and Ephesians. They only read Paul's records. They don't read James. They don't read uh, Jude. They don't read Revelation. And they definitely don't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Brothers and sisters, and, and we don't even have to speak on the Old Testament. We know they don't read the Old Testament. And then when you get to the Israelites, most Israelites are dealing with what, brothers and sisters? They're dealing with the Apographer. They're dealing with the Old Testament. They're not really dealing with the New Testament at all. Some Israelites don't even believe in Paul's records at all, brothers and sisters. So we know that I, in all of this, brothers and sisters, what gets lost? Christ's three years of ministry. Brothers and sisters, Christ's three years of ministry, we're still talking about 2,000 years later. So that tells us that that was a powerful ministry, brothers and sisters. And it would behoove us to do what? To go back and examine this ministry. Go examine the most powerful ministry in the history <laughs> of ministry, brothers and sisters. Right? So we're going to go back there. We're going to go to the first message. That the Messiah taught. We're here at Matthew, the seventh chapter, the thirteenth and the fourteenth verse, brothers and sisters. Matthew seven and thirteen. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, mm. and many there be which go in thereat. What a provocative statement, brothers and sisters! Closely examine as the Messiah delivers a. A very sober invitation. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate. Straight is the gate. And narrow is the way. And what? Narrow is the way. It's narrow in the sense of having a particular requirement for entrance. Brothers and sisters, the word straight means difficult, okay? That's what that means. Narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And what? Few there be that find it. Brothers and sisters, according to what we're seeing, <laughs> read that one more time, brother. Verse 14, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Read and few there be that find it. That do what? Few there be that find it. According to that text, brothers and sisters, the narrow gate has to be discovered. You see? And few there be that find it, brothers and sisters. And therefore, this narrow path must be deliberately sought after. You see that, brothers and sisters? Unless a person is looking diligently for the gate, he is not likely to know that it's there. And few there be that find it, brothers and sisters. Okay? 
So if it's a narrow gate, where would we want to find that entrance? We would probably want to start with Christ and his ministry, his three-year ministry. Let's go there. Let's go to Luke 13. Let's stick in the gospel, brothers and sisters. Luke, the 13th chapter, the 22nd verse. Brothers and sisters, there's so much information in the gospel that I always encourage brothers and sisters to read the gospel. Always, because you read it and read it and you, there's so many small details in there that give you so much wisdom, brothers and sisters. And you think that you've read it before, but you each year you've grown in knowledge, you've grown in understanding, brothers and sisters. So you can read the same story two years later and get something completely different because what you receive from a message is based on your experience, brothers and sisters. So through those two years, you've experienced more, right? So go back into the gospel, brothers and sisters. We will go with you. We're at Luke, the 13th chapter, the 22nd through the 24th verse. Luke 13 and 22. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? Read that again. Lord. Are there few that be saved? Brothers and sisters, closely examine how he answers the Inquisition. And he said unto them. What did he say, brother? Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Read that again, brother. Luke 13 and 24. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. That word strive translated means to struggle or fight, brothers and sisters, okay? That's what that means. It's telling you to fight to enter into this difficult gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And shall not be able, brothers and sisters. Christ, if you examine it closely, Christ in effect directs attention away from the head counting and tells the questioner to take heed to himself. Do you see that? The brother asked, "How? what did the brother ask? Read 23 again, brother, please. Verse 23, then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto see, them. See, he said, how many people? Is it only going to be a, a few that's going to get in Christ? Christ said. Verse 24, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Brother, you need to just worry about getting yourself in, okay? It's, it's a hard path. You see that, brothers and sisters? <laughs> so what we have from Christ is a statement spoken to his contemporaries about themselves. You see that, brothers and sisters? Read 24 one more time, brother, please. Luke 13 and 24. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many I say unto you, will seek to enter in. Many shall seek to enter and shall not be able. According to the text, brothers and sisters, the road to life is always going is always going to be limited, okay? A small minority. You see, brothers and sisters, many it says strive to enter into that gate. Many, brothers and sisters, I say, will look to enter in and not be able See, so this gate, everyone is not able to get into. Why? Because there's rules, there's regulations, there's stipulations, there's conditions, there's contingencies, brothers and sisters. See, 
It's not absolute. So you have to really be careful when you speak in absolutes, brothers and sisters, okay? Let us show. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brother. Let's go to the Apocrypha now. Let's go there. Because we're talking about the first message in the Messiah. We're going to Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha, the 15th chapter, the 14th verse. For those who may be just joining us today, we are in the Apocrypha, brothers and sisters. We at the Commandment Keepers Church utilize what we call the 1611 King James Version Bible. In 1611, the original canon of the King James Version Bible was in print. When that Bible was in print, up until 1850, there was 80 books in the Bible. After 1850, around the abolition of slavery, they removed 14 books from the Bible that they could not allow these, what were soon to be free slaves, to read. When you go to Barnes and Nobles, when you go to these bookstores, when you go to Amazon, buy the 1611 King James Version Bible so you can have a complete copy of the Bible. Okay, brothers and sisters, we're here at Ecclesiasticus 15 and 14. Ecclesiasticus 15 and 14. He himself made man from the beginning and left him in the hand of his counsel. If thou wilt to keep the commandments and to perform acceptable faithfulness. If thou wilt. You see that? He said he made man. Read that one more time. Verse 14, brother. Verse 14. He himself made man from the beginning and left him in the hand of his counsel. In the hand of his counsel. Verse 15. If thou wilt. In the hand of his counsel means free will. You see that? God gave you free will. You see? Read verse 15. What's the free will, brother? Verse 15. If thou wilt to keep the commandments. If you'll keep the commandments. And to perform acceptable faithfulness. See, that acceptable faithfulness tells you there's, uh, there's, there's faithfulness that's unacceptable. Right? Continue, brother. Verse 16. He has set fire and water before thee. Fire represents judgment. Water, life, brothers and sisters. He has set fire and water before thee. Stretch forth thy hand until whether thou wilt. Before man is life and death. He said you have fire and water. Stretch forth your hand to what you decide. What does 17 say, brother? Verse 17. Before man is life and death. And whether him liketh shall be given him. See, whatever you want, you can have. This is that straight and narrow gate, brothers and sisters. See, this is what Christ was talking about. See, few there be that find it, brothers and sisters. Let's read that again. Read 14, brother, please. Ecclesiasticus 15 and 14. He himself made man from the beginning. From the beginning. And left him in the hand of his counsel. In the hand of his counsel. If thou wilt. To keep the commandments and to perform acceptable faithfulness. Continue. He has set fire and water before thee. He has set fire and water before thee, brothers and sisters. Stretch forth thy hand until whether thou wilt. Stretch forth to whatever you decide. What decision do you have? Choices. He's telling you that what, brothers and sisters? You will be deter You will be ju judged on choices, okay? Not doctrine. You're not going to be judged on doctrine. You're going to be judged on choices, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse 17. 
before man is life and death, and whether him liketh shall be given him. See that? So that means what? He's highlighting your free will. See this, brothers and sisters? Why? Because you're created in God's image. God, God has free will. So because of that, he had to give you free will, brothers and sisters. Okay? Now follow us to Isaiah 30, because we first wanted to show you what? That same path, right? That same path from a different person's perspective. Why? Because the mouth by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let all things be established. Right? Let's go to Isaiah 30. Let's go to the Old Testament now. Isaiah, the 30th chapter, the 21st verse. We'll have Brother Christopher read that. Examine this, brothers and sisters. Isaiah 30 and 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left. Brothers and sisters, we must closely monitor the the navigational instruction coming from the Most High, because according to Isaiah 30 and 21, what did it say, Brother Christopher? Verse 21, And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left. Two things seem to be prominent in the words before us, brothers and sisters. Number one is man's waywardness. And secondly, the Most High's infallible guidance. Because the text is telling you that what? <laughs> the text implies that there is in Israel a continual proneness to vacillate. Because he said, when ye turn to the left, when ye turn to the right, implying that we get off track quite, <laughs> you know, we get off track quite often, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? Do you see the implication of the text? Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 21, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee. You'll hear a word behind thee, Israel, saying, this is the way. This is the way. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how many of you all of the audience saw that movie, uh, The Matrix, the old Matrix, where uh, in the beginning of the movie, Morpheus, uh, the black guy, is actually directing... Uh, directing uh, Neo, which is the main guy, he's directing him on the phone, like there's people trying to chase him down, and he's directing him on the phone saying, go left, go right, duck under this table, go outside this window. And everything that he's telling him is navigating him. The moment he loses faith in what the direction is he's getting from the, the man on the phone, he's caught, brothers and sisters. It's the same way here, brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit is our navigational system. The Holy Spirit, if you're listening, if you're quiet, if you're clear headed if you're sober, you can understand that the Most High Spirit is telling you, go this way. No, 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 not there. Not there, son. Nope. Not there, daughter. Back up. Back on up. Back on up. Take a look at it. Read that one more time, brother. Isaiah 30 and 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee. So it's clear, according to our text, our source of direction comes from on high, you see? Saying, this is the way. See? Walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand. This is the way, walk ye in it. Or let's deal with that. Because why? According to the text, there's a way, right? So you're saying there's a way. Let's, let's talk about that. There, there is a way. Brothers and sisters, let's go there. Let's go to Psalm 16 and 11. 
The title of today's lesson, brothers and sisters, the Messiah's first message. We're at Psalms, the 16th chapter, the 11th verse. Psalms 16 and 11. What's that say, brother? Thou wilt show me the path of life. So there's a path now. There's a way. There's a path, right? The, 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 the psalmist does what? The psalmist understood what many of us do not. And that's the path of life must be learned. That's why he said what, brother? Thou will show me the path of life. See, he's saying it has to be shown. It has to be taught. See? In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Read that again from the top, brother, because the text implies that you should never run before God's guidance. How do we know? Read that again, brother. Verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. See? Never run before God's guidance. The text teaches us that why? Wherever the Most High God, he also provides. Look at this. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. See that? So we must endeavor to operate within our approved jurisdictions, brothers and sisters, and never attempt to, to usurp the most high sovereign power. The most high will show you the path of life. And guess what? If you're in his presence, so is the fullness of joy. So when I'm not, when I don't feel the fullness of joy, I know I'm not in the presence of the most high. And I have to examine that when I'm in a bad mood or whatever the case is, I may feel irritable or, or whatever the case is, brothers and sisters, that, that, that we go through. Understand that you're not in the presence of the Most High because the text tells us clearly, right? What does the text tell us, brother? Verse 11, that will show me the path of life. Let's stay there. Do not ask the Most High to guide your footsteps if you're not willing to move your feet, brothers and sisters. Let's put that out there, okay? F continue. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy presence is the fullness of joy. Telling you what, brothers and sisters, the fullness of joy is not in making a lot of money. It's not in having a lot of girlfriends. It's not in having a lot of boyfriends. It's not in being... Uh, uh, a famous person. See, joy is not in those things. Joy is where, brother? In thy presence is fullness of joy. Unless you're saying the psalmist is a liar. See? At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So that's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. That's crystal clear. There is a path and it must be learned. That's what we see here. See, a lot of people are just living, they're just, fr they're just, gallivanting through life brothers and sisters with no plan just living life no really strategic planning no methodical meticulous choices really no plan really no goal really no vision and the bible is telling you few there be that find that path telling you that if you don't search for it you will not find it so just gallivanting through life having fun with your ambitious self you will miss this you will miss this let us show let's go to Matthew 4 let's go back to the gospel we're going to deal with Christ's three year ministry Matthew 4 and 17 Matthew Four and 17. Examine this, brothers and sisters. We really want you to examine the first recorded words in the public ministry 
of the Messiah. Verse 17. From that time, Christ began to preach. From that time. That means he never preached before that time, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? From that time, he did what? From that time, Christ began to preach. He began to preach, which means he hadn't preached before this time. He began to preach. And to say. What did he say, brother? What was the first words? Repent. What was the first words, brother? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first demand of the Messiah's public ministry was repent, brothers and sisters. He spoke this command indiscriminately to all who would listen. Can you read that again, brother? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven See that? is at hand. Repent. From that time, Christ began to preach what, brother? From that time, Christ began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ emphasized that people cannot participate in God's kingdom without first repenting of their sins. You see that, brothers and sisters? See, the very first message, his very first message was repent. Now, let's deal with that, because if this was his very first message, how weighty was this message? Should we reconsider this? Should we reconsider the weight of this message, brothers and sisters? We'll do that today. Let's go to Acts, brother. 17. Go to the Acts of the Apostles. Acts 17 and 30. We'll have brother Christopher read the 30th verse and the 31st verse. Acts 17 and 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Read that first part again, brother. Verse 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. at, the t at there were times of ignorance that God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. According to the text, the age of ignorance is over. This passage highlights what? This passage highlights the Most High's patience. He said there was a time when we were ignorant that he winked at. He found it fascinating, brothers and sisters. But now we're past that time. Read it again. Verse 30. And this, <clears throat> excuse me, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at. He winked at. But now. But now. Commanded all men everywhere to repent. It's clear, brothers and sisters, because we were ignorant. The Most High patiently overlooked our sin and allowed us to live. It's called, it says the times of this ignorance. Whose ignorance? It wasn't God's. <laughs> it was ours. See that? That's patience. That's mercy. That's long-suffering. Read. Verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day mm. in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Brothers and sisters, what we see here is that the age of ignorance is over. The age of repentance is here. Okay? The text shows that the gospel, according to the apostles, was a clarion call to repentance. Let's read it again, brother, from the top, please. Acts 17 and 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. Why? But now 
commanded all men everywhere to repent. Command all men to repent. Why, brother? Because he hath appointed a day. Why? Because he hath appointed a day. Continue. In the which he will judge the world in righteousness. He said he commanded you to repent because there's an adept, there's a day appointed in which he's going to judge. Right? Read. In the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. That man whom he hath ordained is who? Christ. See? They didn't tell you that Christ would be judging. They told you Christ would come take you up into heaven. They didn't tell you that he was the judge. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men. Unto all men. In that he hath raised him from the dead. See that? That's where the assurance came from, brothers and sisters. We received the assurance through him being raised. Through his resurrection, brothers and sisters, okay? Let's go to Ephesians 5 and 11. The Messiah's first message, brothers and sisters. Yes, we are an Israelite church. But we are biblically based, and not only biblically based, we're Christ based. Our base is Christ, brothers and sisters, okay? Yes, we happen to be Israelites, but rather whether we're Israelites or not doesn't change we're supposed to follow Christ. And that's why we teach Gentiles also. So we're not we're not on some we're Israelites trip, you know. That's that's old to us, okay? We got over that a long time ago because guess what? You can't finish the race if you're only being stimulated on your gas is I'm an Israelite. So the fact that I'm an Israelite is supposed to carry me 10, 15, 20 years through this marathon. No, guess what? Knowing that you're an Israelite gets old, okay? It'll get old to some degree, brothers and sisters. So you have to have something else that will stimulate you and keep you going for this marathon, brothers and sisters. Read uh, the read the eleventh verse of the fifth chapter in Ephesians, brother, please. Ephesians five and eleven, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Look at this again, because according to the author, silent abstinence is not enough. Read that again, brother, from the top, please. Verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. See, the text teaches us to ignore evil is what? To encourage it. To keep quiet about it is to help promote it. Look at what it tells us to do. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but, but rather reprove them. But Rather, reprove them. See that? You see that, brothers and sisters? Continue. Verse 12. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Continue, brother. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Verse 13 encourages us to understand that the Most High will purposely expose our sins to us for our eternal good. It says what brother? <clears throat> but all things are reproved. Are made manifest by the light. Look at that. Made manifest by the light. So it's telling you. In order to correct it. It has to be made manifest. By the light. So brothers and sisters. Light is the best disinfectant. Okay. It reveals what darkness 
tries to hide. And that's what the text is teaching us here. All things that are corrected are corrected because they're made clear by the light, brothers and sisters. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Whatever makes it clear, right? Whatever gives clarity is considered light. See that, brothers and sisters? So it's clear that silent abstinence was not enough because he said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Not only have no fellowship with it, but reprove it, correct it. You see that, brothers and sisters? We need to get to a place amongst our community, amongst our people, amongst Israelites, in which we can do this. Okay? Follow us to Psalms, the 90th chapter, the 8th verse, brothers and sisters. Remember, we just came from Ephesians 5 and 11, where it said, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Okay? Here it is. We're at Psalms 90 and 8. Psalms 90 and 8. What's that say, brother? Thou hast set our iniquities before thee. Our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. Brothers and sisters, according to the psalmist, experiencing his presence reveals our secret sins. Do you see that? Read that one more time, brother, because it's what happened in his countenance? Verse 8. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee. He said our iniquities, iniquity is invisible sin. Our secret sins. See that? Invisible, our secret sins, you see? Our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. In the light of his countenance, brothers and sisters. You see that? God's holiness casts light on our sinfulness. So it's clear that relationship comes with what? With exposure. It's a package deal. When you're in a relationship, right? When you're with that woman for years or that man, guess who knows your weaknesses? Guess who knows where your dirty draws is at? See? So when you're in relationship... <laughs> the Most High is telling you when you're in a relationship with me, the light. Remember, Moses couldn't even look directly at the Most High God. He would have died. So he's telling you the closer you get to me, the light the is going to convict you. It's going to show you your sins. It's going to show you your iniquity. It's going to show you, you know, your secret sins. It's not possible to get closer. Okay, brothers and sisters, it's not possible. It's not possible to get closer without revelation, self-revelation. Most times when we get the truth, we start looking at other people wrong. He gave you the truth to look at yourself. The first thing we do is to get ourselves in order, brothers and sisters, and then we work our way out. Let's go to Proverbs 4 and 18, brother. Let's go to Proverbs, the fourth chapter, the 18th verse. Follow us here, brothers and sisters, please. Proverbs 4 and 18. What's that say, brother? But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect unto day. Unto the what, brother? Unto the perfect day. This description is given to us to describe the path of those who walk with God. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 18. But the path of the just is as the shining light. As the shining light. That shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The path to him grows brighter every day. Why? Because sin thrives in an environment of darkness. Do you see that? <laughs> That's why I said, read 18 again, brother. 
verse 18. But the path of the just. The path, brothers and sisters, path does what? It implies what? Progression. It implies walking. You see that? It's a path of light. That means you must progress into this light, right? The path of the just is as the shining light. It's as the shining light. That shineth more and more until the perfect day. Continue, brother. The way of the wickedness is as darkness. Mm. They know not at what they stumble. See, so coming to the light allows the Most High God to show us our sinfulness, brothers and sisters. Okay? This passage, it, it informs us that as a result of, of walking in darkness, these sinners stumble and fall. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 19. Proverbs 4 and 19. The way of the wicked is as darkness. It's as what? As darkness. They know not at what they stumble. See, so the general idea is that evil creates a, a dark, jagged road which causes people to fall, brothers and sisters. You see that? Remember, Christ said, few there is that find this narrow path, this difficult path, brothers and sisters. Let's go to let's go to John. The title of today's lesson is the Messiah's first message. We wanted to examine the first message of the Messiah, brothers and sisters. We want to re-examine Christ. We want to re-examine his ministry, his three-year ministry that we still speak of thousands of years later, brothers and sisters. That's powerful, okay? Let's go to John 3 and 20. John 3 and 20. What's that saying, brother? For every one that doeth evil hateth the light. Read that again, brother, please. Every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. The text teaches that those who commit sin would prefer that their sin stay hidden. And not be exposed, brothers and sisters. It's clear that most people prefer darkness where there will be no exposure of their sin. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 20. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. Continue. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest. Look at this, brothers and sisters. This verse is a contrast to those who live in the domain of darkness, okay? Coming to the light is the core issue because it determines where we spend eternity. Look at this. You have those who come to the light and you have those who don't. Those who don't come to the light, let's read it again. Verse 20, brother. Verse 20. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light. So according to the author, evil can endure for a season in seclusion, right? But eventually it'll be exposed. Examine this. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. See? But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest. So look at that. It's telling you how you respond to light is the determinant factor. How do you respond? You either come to the light because why? Read that again. 21, brother, please. John 3 and 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. When you're doing the right thing, you love light. 
that his deeds may be made manifest. Why do you love the light? Because you're doing the right thing. See? That his deeds may be made manifest. So how do you respond to the light? See? Do you scurry away? See? Because why? The Bible told you what? Proverbs 4 said what? But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. Brothers and sisters. And then it said, the way of the wicked is as darkness. Why is the way of the wicked as darkness? Read 20, brother, please. John 3 and 20. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light. See, that's why the way of the wicked is as darkness. See? They stumble. They know not at what. Why? Because they walk in darkness. Brothers and sisters. You see that? Let's let's go to Isaiah 29, brother. Let's go to the uh the Old Testament now. Isaiah 29 and 5. Let's go there. Uh, excuse me, 15, not 5. We're gonna go to 15 and 16. Slot. Isaiah 29 and 15. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us? And who knoweth us? Brothers and sisters, we can clearly see that there's a connection between darkness and the act of concealment. Let's read that again, brother, please. Verse 15. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel. Seek deep to do what? Hide their counsel from the Lord. And their works are in the dark. And what? And their works are in the dark. See, so the author tells us the preference for darkness is really a preference for concealment. Do you see? Continue. And their works are in the dark. And what? And they say, Who seeth us? And who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the works say of him that made it, He made me not. Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding. Brothers and sisters, what do we see? We see a lot in these two texts. Number one, anything you look to conceal highlights that there's been a conviction in your conscience, right? It says, read 15 again, brother. Verse 15. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. Seek deep to hide their counsel. If you're trying to hide it, that means you know it's unclean, brothers and sisters. That's the first part, right? It says, seek deep to hide their counsel from the Most High. A lot of times, brothers and sisters, we don't ask the Most High. We just do it because we know that the answer from the Most High is likely no, because the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Or you ask that you consume upon your lust. So a lot of times we don't even ask the Most High for what we want because we know what we want is based on lust. Okay, brothers and sisters. So the Bible says we seek deep to hide our counsel from the Most High God. Read verse 16, brother, please. Isaiah 29 and 16. Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. He said you're turning things upside down. Why? Because you're trying to make decisions. And you, I didn't create you to make decisions. I created you not to think, but to do what I said, right? For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not. So he said, listen, I created you. You're the you're the pot that I created, right? Or shall the thing say frame, <clears throat> excuse me, 
Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it? He said, you're a picture that I've painted. He had no understanding. See, so it's clear, brothers and sisters. It's clear. Take a look at Job 12, excuse me, 13 and 23. Because it told you that why people who do evil walk in the dark, right? So now we're understanding why they can't find this path. <laughs> that path is narrow. How can you find it in the dark, brothers and sisters? You see? Let's go to Job 13 and 23. Job 13 and 23. How many are mine iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. And mine. And my sin. Job desired that all his sins might be brought to light. Brothers and sisters, can you read that again, brother? Verse 23. How many are mine iniquities? This is what he's asking the Most High. His iniquities, invisible sin. How many are mine iniquities and sins? What did he ask the Most High? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. You see that, brothers and sisters? A true penitent is willing to know the worst of himself. Here we read of a man who embraces the light. See, this is what embracing the light looks like. Father, I know I have shortcomings. Show me my shortcomings, Father. Show me my shortcomings. You see that, brothers and sisters? How many of us fear to do that? How many of us are willing to do that, brothers and sisters? To ask the Most High to show us different things, not all at once. He won't show you all at once. He'll show you one thing here, then a few months, you know, six months later, or, or whatever the case is, something else. He's not going to show you everything wrong with you in one day, brothers and sisters, because you can't fix it in one day. Okay. Let's go to John, brother. Let's go back to the gospel. We we forewarned you that we had a lot of uh, gospel, brothers and sisters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're at John 9 and 41. John 9 and 41. The title of today's lesson, the Messiah's first message. Christ said unto them, if ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now we say, <clears throat> excuse me, but now ye say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, man is held responsible according to the light that he has been given. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 41, Christ said unto them, if ye were blind, if ye were blind, he should have no sin. He would have no sin. So his statement here underscores an important principle, brothers and sisters, that the Most High God holds people accountable only for what they know. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 41, Christ said unto them, if ye were blind, ye should have no sin. So in other words, knowledge creates responsibility, read. But now we say, <clears throat> excuse me, but now ye say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. See, so brothers and sisters, there's a great difference between the one who is blind and the one who simply shuts his eyes. So there's a difference here, okay? Christ is breaking it down. He's saying, since you, you said you know the truth, <laughs> you have sin here. Because why? When you don't know, you have grace. But since you said you do know, <laughs> see, since you said you know, 
since you said you follow the law, right? Since you're being judged by the law, you're being judged by the entirety of that law. See, this is equity here, brothers and sisters. Read that again, brother, please. John 9 and 41. Christ said unto them, if ye were blind, ye ye should have no sin. See, if you were blind, if you couldn't see it, then you would have no sin. Why? Because you were blind. You wouldn't know what's right. But now ye say, we see. You claim that what? You're the leaders. You claim that you can see. You claim you know what's right. We see. Therefore, your sin remains. See that? And since you claim that you can see, your sin remains. Brothers and sisters. Why? Because he only holds you responsible for what you know. That's called grace, brothers and sisters. See? And because of that, because he only holds you responsible for what you know, that's why Light is the best disinfectant. That's why he's telling you, in order to come close to me, I have to use my light to reveal sin in you. Because why? I can only hold you accountable for sin that you know of, son. See that? So life becomes what? Life becomes the most high revealing different things in us, brothers and sisters. Why? Because he's a righteous judge He's a righteous judge and therefore must hold us accountable, brothers and sisters. So what does he do? What does he do? He shows us the weakness. And anything he shows you, you're responsible to exterminate. Anything he shows you, you're responsible to extinguish. Anything he shows you, you're responsible to eradicate, brothers and sisters. Let's go to John. Let's go to John uh, 15 and 22. Let's stick in John, rather. John 15 and 22. What's that say, brother? John 15 and 22. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sinned. You see that, brothers and sisters? Read that one more time, brother. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sinned. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. Brothers and sisters. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? (laughs) Our, Our fallen nature prefers not to be informed about our sin. That's what Christ is showing us here. According to the text, there's a there's a connection or a correlation between the revelation and the accountability. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken unto them. If I hadn't spoken to you, if I hadn't revealed your sin. They had not had sin. See that, brothers and sisters? He said, if I hadn't come and been the light, then you would have no sin. Because why? You wouldn't know. Because why? I came to show it to you. Read. But now they have no cloak for their sin. You see that? He said you had a cloak for your sin because you didn't know. But now you know because why? I brought it to your attention. This is why they hated Christ, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to deal with the principle here. What's the principle? The principle here is that you can be covered under grace with unknown sin. See that? Not purpose sin, brothers and sisters. Unknown See, brothers and sisters? So he's highlighting it. He's revealing it. Saying, all right, son, I'm going to reveal this. I'm going to use the earth. I'm going to let 
circumstances conspire against you to pull something out of you that I know is actually there that I need you to deal with. So this is how it works, brothers and sisters. When you read the story of Gideon and the men were being tested, what I found, brothers and sisters, is that in the Bible, the people that were being tested never knew they were being tested until after the test was complete. Go study the Bible, brothers and sisters. God never tells you it's a test while you're taking it. It's always after, brothers and sisters. Let's take a look at James 4 and 17. Let's look at the let's look at this. James, the 14th chapter, the 17th verse. What does that say, brother? James 4 and 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The text emphasizes the obligations upon all men. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. See, so knowledge of what's right puts us under the obligation to fulfill it, brothers and sisters. Knowledge of duty increases obligation to perform it. And the neglect of known duty, according to the, according to the author, is sin, brothers and sisters. It is a sin to know that a thing is right and yet leave it undone. And see, that's the key. See, you have sins of omission. See, and that's another level. <laughs> See, first you get into a sin being or, or being in trouble or condemned really based on sin, that is, brothers and sisters, based on rebuke, based on sin that you did, based on what you did do. The Bible tells you also judged on what you didn't do, brothers and sisters. See, when God said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath and you do that, that means you knew what the right thing was to do, yet you, uh, you left it undone. See that when the Bible say ask for forgiveness or lay down your first fruits, all these things are you knowing what the first what the right thing to do is yet leaving it undone, therefore making it a sin. So a sin of omission is a sin committed because of neglecting to do what is right. See, they're good works left undone, brothers and sisters. This is sin by omission. This is the next level that you go to, brothers and sisters. Is when you know in your heart, okay, the Most High is saying, you need to apologize to her, okay? You need to go apologize. You need to do this. You need to give that brother, that homeless brother you see there, give him $15 right now. So forth and so on, et cetera, et cetera, brothers and sisters. This is another level because why? Now this is the spirit of the law. See that? This is the spirit of the law. What's the spirit of the law? Read that again, brother, please. James 4 and 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Okay, so it tells you to know the right thing, yet leave it undone is sin. Okay, what is the right thing? Let's find out. Let's go to Leviticus 5 and 5 because the Bible tells us what's the right thing. And if you leave the right thing left undone, it is considered sin. We're at Leviticus, the fifth chapter, the fifth verse. Leviticus 5 and 5. And it shall be, when he shall be guilty in one of these things, that he shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing. According to the writer, there is no confession of general sin. Read that again, brother, please. Listen to this closely. 
verse 5. And it shall be when he shall be guilty in one of these things. When he shall be guilty in one of these things. That he shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing. He shall confess that he sinned in that thing. You see that? The text reminds us that it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sin. See that? If your particular sins are left out of your confession, your general confession has no effect upon your mind. You see that? If you can't say exactly what transpired, it doesn't, it has no effect on your mind. It's you being able to confess it openly, whatever it may be, with your mouth, that takes an effect on your mind, brothers and sisters. No other confession but such as discovers and accuses your own particular guilt can be a true act of sorrow, brothers and sisters. Naming it gets it out into the light. If you're unwilling to name what you did, you're not willing to bring it into the light. Read that again, brother, please. Leviticus 5 and 5. And it shall be. It shall be. When he shall be guilty in one of these things. What happens? That he shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing. Why? Because we've gotten away through Christianity, the Christian church teaching us, you know, asking God, forgive me for all my sins. Forgive me for all the sins that I've done. That doesn't work, brothers and sisters. As generally speaking, when you've done something wrong and you know you've done something wrong, you have to call it out as it is. <clears throat> Asking the Most High to forgive you for all your sins is broad for sins that you don't know you've committed. Okay, brothers and sisters, but the Holy Spirit convicts your heart to tell you when you've done wrong. And it usually, a lot of times, it's immediate, brothers and sisters. It's immediate. So we're showing you that what? You must learn to confess particular sins. Particular sins. Brothers and sisters, follow us to 1 John, the first chapter, the ninth verse. 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And to what, brother? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. According to the author, there's a spiritual connection between confession and cleanliness. Can you read that again, brother, please? Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John states that those who confess sins are both forgiven and cleansed. Brothers and sisters. You see that? Forgiven and cleansed. So according to the text, only those who confess their sinfulness with a penitent heart can be cleansed. Brothers and sisters. Do you see that? This statement teaches us that forgiveness is conditional. There are contingencies, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? Because the Christian church never taught us this. They never told us that there were contingencies. They never told us that their forgiveness was conditional, brothers and sisters. I want you to examine this one more time. Can you read the, the ninth verse, brother, in the first chapter of 1 John? 1 John 1 and 19. If we verse can... 9. Yeah, not 19. Verse 9. Excuse me. Verse 9. If we confess our sins. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our so sins. So that tells us what? 
what sins can you not be forgiven for, according to the text? The sins you don't confess. You see that? The only sin you can't be forgiven for is the ones you don't confess, outside of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. You see that? You must confess if you want it to be forgiven. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 9. If we confess our sins. If we do. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See that? So you must, in order to be cleansed, you must confess sin. See that, brothers and sisters? You must live in honesty. If you're unwilling to confess sin, oh my, we have another issue on our hands. We have a much bigger issue on our hands because how can you repent if you're unwilling to confess per particular sin, not this broad, forgive me for all my sins. No, when you know specific sins, Father, forgive me for cheating on my wife. Father, forgive me for talking to my husband this way. Father, forgive me for this. Specific sins, because when it comes out of your mouth, brothers and sisters, see, life and death is in the tongue. Let's go to Proverbs, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs. Because this was the Messiah's first message. What we're teaching today was Christ's first message. And from that day, he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, brothers and sisters. That was his first message. His first word was repent. We're at Proverbs, the 28th chapter. In the 13th verse. Proverbs 28 and 13. What's that say, brother? He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Brothers and sisters, this is ethical wisdom of the wise. Covered sin means no prosperity. Can you read that again, brother, please? Verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Shall not what? Shall not prosper. So the way you handle your sin will determine your future prosperity or destruction. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? You see that? He's telling you, we're all going to sin. How do you handle your sin determines all the difference. Do you look to hide the sin or do you look to what? Cleanse the sin by confessing it. Read that again, brother. Proverbs 28 and 13. He that covereth his sins. He that hides his sins. Shall not prosper. Shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. See that, brothers and sisters? If we try to hide or ignore our faults, our chances for success in life are dim. The Most High will never admit a sinful, unhumbled son, excuse me, unhumbled soul into his kingdom. It'll never happen, brothers and sisters. If you're unwilling to confess, that's pride, brothers and sisters. See that? He said, but whoso does what? But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's called repentance. <laughs> See? That is repentance. Confess and forsake. See that, brothers and sisters? Confession alone is not enough. 
That's just the beginning step. And a lot of us don't even get there. We don't even confess our sins to the Most High God. Not our specific sins to the Most High God. We don't even do that anymore. And because of that, our conscience is not affected. Why? Because we don't confess particular sins. We paint it with a broad brush and therefore our conscience is not affected. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Psalms, the 7th chapter, the 11th and the 12th verse. Psalms 7 and 11. God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. Continue. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He will sharpen his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. Brothers and sisters, the writer points out that if a person does not repent... God will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. Read that again, brother, please. Because see, this is what repentance is. Repentance means to turn, okay? It means to change. It means to, to change your mind and change direction, okay? Psalm 7 and 11. God judges the righteous. And? And God is angry with the wicked every day. He's angry with who? Angry with the wicked. When? Every day. When? Every day. According to the text, wickedness will not go unnoticed by the Most High God. Continue, brother. Verse 12. If he turn not. If you don't turn. If you don't get back on the proper path. If he turn not. He will wet his sword. He will sharpen his sword in preparation to inflicting punishment. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. So here we read consequences to the wicked if they persevere in the course which they're pursuing, brothers and sisters. See, this is repentance. He's telling you, listen, if you don't turn around, I'm going to sharpen my sword. Okay? I'm going to sharpen my sword. See, what do we see? We see guidance. We see direction. We see long-suffering. We see mercy. Because why? He's saying, if you don't turn around, I'm going to sharpen my sword. He's giving you space to turn around. Do you see that? Give glory to God. He's giving you space to turn around. Let's go to Isaiah, brother, 55, stand in the Old Testament. Isaiah 55 and 7. Isaiah 55 and 7. What's that say, brother? Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Brothers and sisters, by three forms of expression, he describes the true nature of repentance. You're learning what repentance is. Let's break it down. Read that from the top, brother, please. Verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. Brothers and sisters, the word forsake means to leave or to abandon, right? Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Look at that, brothers and sisters. A change of heart and acknowledgement of our sin must be accompanied by what? A change in behavior. He said forsake his way and then forsake his thoughts. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 7. 
Let the wicked forsake his way. How does he do that? And the unrighteous man his thoughts. In order to forsake his way, he must forsake his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, so sinfulness refers not only to what we do, but also to what we think, brothers and sisters. It's, it's crystal clear. The text tells you to do what, brother? Let's break it down. The three steps of repentance. Isaiah 55 and 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. To forsake your way is to turn around. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, your thoughts. So not only your actions, but your thoughts, right? So first thing you have to do is acknowledge that these thoughts or these actions are wrong, right? So it says, let the wicked forsake his way. So the first thing I have to do is acknowledge that this is not the right path. And then I have to acknowledge that these are not the right thoughts. And then what? Let him do what? And let him return unto the Lord. See that? The first thing you have to do is acknowledge you're on the wrong path. See that? You don't return to the Lord until you first acknowledge you're on the wrong path. See? Let the wicked forsake his way. Let him forsake his thoughts. Then, once he's acknowledged it, let him return unto the Most High. And? And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See that? He will abundantly pardon. He will have mercy on you, brothers and sisters. Let's go to let's go to Luke 19 in one, brothers and sisters. We're going to have Brother Christopher read the first verse through the ninth verse. We're going to read this straight through, brothers and sisters. There's some principles of repentance that we're going to learn from Zacchaeus, brothers and sisters. Luke 19 and 1. And Christ entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. And he was rich. Zacchaeus was a chief tax, co uh, tax collector by profession, brothers and sisters. Okay. Verse 3. And he sought to see Christ who he was and could not for the press. Because he was little of stature. So he was a small man. There was This crisis fame was uh, growing during this time. So he was a small, short man. He couldn't really see Christ, right? Verse 4. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. Climbed into a tree to see Christ. Verse 5. And when Christ came to the place, he looked up and saw him. And said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, they murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Look at this. They're saying, why would Christ go to this? This man's a sinner. He's a tax collector. Tax collectors were most times they were charging more. So. If if your debt was five dollars, I could get ten because Caesar said anything over the five I keep. You see that? Anything over the debt that I exact from you. Now I already have the power of the badge. You see that? I already have the support of the state. See? I have the support of the state because why? Caesar sent me as a tax collector. Your debt is five, but you're gonna give us ten. 
See this, brothers and sisters? So they did what? Verse 7? Verse 7. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Continue. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Christ said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. Brothers and sisters, we're going to go back through that, because Zacchaeus promised to return to his victims far more than what even the law demanded of thieves. He said, if I've stolen from you, I give you four times as much. Four times as much. So this aspect of restitution is important because it shows how repentance always produces tangible results, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? It always does. It's not just to apologize. It's not just to confess alone. I want to start, jump back to verse, read verse 5, brother, please. Luke 19 and 5. And when Christ came to the place. We're going to go through all three steps of repentance. When Christ came to the place. He did what? He looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Continue. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Read. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man. So first came what? First came the light or the exposure. See? First thing that happens is God has to show, has to put the light on you to show your sin. See that? The very first thing, first came the light or the exposure. Here it was. They shed light on his sin. Read that again, brother, as they shed light on this brother's sin. Luke 19 and 7. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. So repentance means first must come light, which means I have to recognize what I did was wrong. See, first thing that has to come is exposure. Read, brother. Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord. What did he say? Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him for Ah, you see? So once the sin has been seen and identified, the next step is to take ownership of it. So the first thing that happened was exposure. It was light. People murmuring because he was a sinner. He does what with that? That light shows his sin. He takes ownership of it. You see that? So behavioral reformation. See? First came the light. Then came the acknowledgement and the reformation. Let's read it again, brother. Let's, let's go through all three steps. Luke 19 and 7. And when they saw it, they all murmured. When they saw it, they all murmured. That here comes the light. Saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man. See, so they magnified his sin, right? That he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, 
the half of my goods I give to the poor. Acknowledgement. Here it is. He acknowledges that, listen, I've done wrong, and this is how I'll repay. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation. If I've charged a brother more than I should have. I restore him fourfold. See that? That's behavioral reformation. See that? The light came to expose his sin. He acknowledged his sin and did what? Walked in a different direction. So the most important thing that we can learn from this story is that salvation only comes when we repent. What did Christ say in verse 9? Verse 9. And Christ said unto him, this day is salvation come to See? this house. Now salvation has come to this house. Why? Because light came first. Acknowledgement came next. And then what? Reformation came finally. And now salvation. <laughs> See that? There's restitution involved. That restitution is you doing what? Living your life for Christ. See, that's the restitution. You see, there was restitution. He said, I would pay four times as much. You've already lived many years in sin. The restitution for that is to live many years in righteousness, brothers and sisters. And we're going to prove that. Let's go to Luke 3, brother. Let's go to Luke 3. Luke 3 and 8, brothers and sisters. Luke 3 and 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. Bring forth, therefore, fruits. What, brother? Worthy of repentance. The fruit of action from repentance was clearly seen in the life of Zacchaeus. It said, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. See? It's not just confession. There's some, there's fruits. There's action worthy of repentance. Brothers and sisters, true repentance means that we change our mind, turn away from sin, and act in obedience. Read that again, brother, please. Because Zacchaeus demonstrated his fruit of repentance by doing what? He committed to putting things, you know, he, he committed to giving to the poor and also paying back four times as much of what he stole, right? See that? So that was his action. Can you read that again, brother? Luke 3 and 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So we wanted to show you that bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. So there must be action worthy of your repentance. Zacchaeus demonstrated that, brothers and sisters, by doing what? He made a public declaration that he would give money to the poor and pay back four times as much. Brothers and sisters, once you make a public declaration, you know now. You're held accountable. You can now be held accountable. And that's why a lot of times when we have dreams, when we have goals and ambitions, we don't tell anyone. Because we know that if we tell somebody, that someone will hold us accountable, brothers and sisters. And this is what we see here. We see that what? The light came first. He recognized that light. 
He identified, he acknowledged that light. That light was the truth, brothers and sisters. And because of that acknowledgement, he did what? He repented, brothers and sisters. He confessed, brothers and sisters. He made restitution, brothers and sisters. And this is what we see. The message of the Messiah, the, the first message of the most powerful ministry in the history of the Bible, brothers and sisters, was on what? Repentance. Let's go to Ezekiel, brother. Let's go to uh, Ezekiel 18 and 30. We're going to have Brother Christopher read 30 through 32. Ezekiel 18 and 30. What's that say, brother? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Saith who? Saith the Lord God. What did he say? Repent. What did he say? Repent. What did he say? Repent and turn yourselves from all transgressions. So iniquity shall not be your ruin. Brothers and sisters, this is further proof that that true repentance means to change. Okay. They never taught us what true repentance was. Can you read that one more time? brother? Verse 30. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Every one according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. So what? So iniquity shall not be your ruin. According to the text, our unrepentant sins is what brings our ruin, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? That's why he said repent and turn from your transgression. Why? Because that iniquity will be your ruin. Continue, brother. Verse 31, cast away from you all transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make ye a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? Let's read that from the top. Ezekiel 18 and 30. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways. According to his ways, saith the Lord God, repent. And turn yourselves See from that? all. Repent and turn yourselves. He's telling you to repent means to change or to turn, brothers and sisters. See that? Turn yourselves. And turn yourselves all from your transgressions. So iniquity shall not be your ruin. So what? So iniquity shall not be your ruin. It's absolutely essential for each soul to repent and prevent. Their iniquity from becoming their ruin, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse 31. What's that say, brother? Cast away from you all transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die? Why should you die, Israel? O house of Israel. Continue. For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves. Do what? Well, <clears throat> wherefore, turn yourselves. Do what, brother? Turn yourselves. That's repentance, to turn or to change. And live ye. See? So Ezekiel concludes this entreaty by reminding Israel that the Most High takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Brothers and sisters. He says, turn then and live. See that? Turn then and live. Turn yourselves 
and live. See that? That was the first message of the Messiah. The Most High put a spirit on us to go find out the first message of Christ's ministry and to go teach it. Let's go to Hosea, brother. 5 and 15. Hosea 5 and 15. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Till what? Till they acknowledge their offense. Till what, brother? They acknowledge their offense. According to the text, the first thing the Most High desires is acknowledgement or agreement on sin. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. According to the author here, the acknowledgement must be coupled with the preceding action. Look at this again. Verse 15. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their Look offense. Look at that. The acknowledgement comes first. What's the preceding action? And they seek my face. See, there's the preceding action. Not only do you acknowledge you're wrong, but now you go find to seek him, to please him, right? In their affliction, they will seek me early. When it says seek my face, that means to seek my favor, brothers and sisters. When you read the Bible. The Bible tells you when the Most High shines his face on you, it represents his favor, okay? Brothers and sisters, so we wanted to show you the author teaches us that a lack of acknowledgement will be preceded by what? Read it again, brother. Verse 15, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Until you acknowledge your offense. And seek my face. And? And seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. See, so the author teaches us that a lack of acknowledgement will be preceded by afflictions. (laughs) See, it says, I'll go to my place until they acknowledge their offense. When will they acknowledge their offense? In their afflictions. So here we see that our people have a proclivity to refuse repentance until a belt is on our backside. Read that again, brother, please. Hosea 5 and 15. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. He's telling you he sends affliction just to force us into acknowledging the offense, the sin. You see, brothers and sisters, the first step is acknowledgement. We need to agree on what sin is. God said this is sin. You're right, God. What you said is sin that I did is sin. Okay? We need to agree that what I did was sin. First. How do we know that? 2 Corinthians taught us that, right? 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 taught us that. Let's see. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5. What's that saying, brother? Examine yourselves. Brothers and sisters, we should often be induced to examine the foundations of our walk. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Brothers and sisters, self-examination is necessary because of the danger of self-deception. 
Do you see that? Read that one more time, brother, because if walking improperly was uncommon, there would be no need to inquire. Let's take a look. Verse five, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Read that again, brother. Examine yourselves. For what reason is this self-examination directed? Whether you be in the faith. Why? <clears throat> Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves. How that Christ is in you, except you be reprobate. Those who refuse to examine themselves result in reprobation. And this is what he was saying. He's saying if you don't examine yourself, you'll become a reprobate. What's a reprobate? A reprobate is a person who believes that their sin is actually right. So when a homosexual say, God made me this way, I was born this way. No, God has now given you up to your sin to where now you think you were born this way. You're now looking at sin as actually doing the right thing. You're looking at good as evil. That's what becoming a reprobate is, brothers and sisters. The Bible says, how do you do what? How do you elude becoming what? How do you evade becoming a reprobate? Read that again, brother. Second Corinthians 13 and 5. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Why? Whether ye be in the faith. To see if you're really in the faith. Prove your own self. Prove yourself. Know ye not your own selves, how that Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate. So it's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. This self-examination, it's, it's not easy, but it's necessary, brothers and sisters, because otherwise you'll become a reprobate. Okay, so we're supposed to examine ourselves. Where can we be better? Did I make a mistake here? Should, what, what should I have done differently? Am I fulfilling the most highest purpose? Without self-examination, you get a bunch of reprobates, brothers and sisters. People who can't be corrected. People, you know, on the path to hell. Okay? Go to Acts, brother. Let's go to Acts 3 and 19. What's that saying, brother? Acts 3 and 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. That what? That your sins may be blotted out. According to the author, God's forgiveness requires repentance. Can you read that again? Repent ye therefore and be converted. Look at that. The conversion. He's telling you real repentance is being converted, brothers and sisters. You see, the conversion, the change in direction. It's not only to acknowledge that I'm going the wrong way, but to turn around. For you to acknowledge I'm going the wrong way, but to continue to stay on that path means nothing to the Most High, okay? So you can acknowledge that I'm, on the, I'm going the wrong way, but until you make a decision to change that, right? Read. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Why? That your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, re repentance is not being sorry. According to the text, it's the act of reformation. Read that one more time, brother. Acts 3 and 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted. That's the key. Repentance without conversion in conduct is fraudulent and therefore unacceptable, brothers and sisters. You see that? So he's saying you must repent. You must be converted. You must first acknowledge that particular sin. Acknowledge that it is sin. And then turn around. 
turn a different path. See that, brothers and sisters? Let's go to Luke, brother. Luke 24. The Messiah's first message was about repentance, brothers and sisters, which teaches us just how important this really is. Let's go to Luke 24 and 46. Luke 24 and 46. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus, <clears throat> and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, please examine the, the structure of the text. Look, look at this again. Read verse 47, brother, because according to the narrator, repentance always comes before the remissions of sins. Let's take a look. Verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. The text makes it clear that forgiveness is contingent on our true repentance. You see that? <laughs> you see, it said, and that repentance and remission of sins, because why, brothers and sisters, without true repentance, there will be no remission of sins. You see that? You notice how it coupled repentance and remission, but it put repentance before remission, telling you that we don't get to remission without repentance. See, so the servants of God are not left to originate a gospel for themselves. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. Repentance first and then the remission of sins, okay? We're not, we don't have the cachet to try to originate a gospel for ourselves and teach our own gospel. No. It's not going to happen, bucko. Let's go to Luke 15, brother. Same book. Luke 15 and 7. We're going to end it here, brothers and sisters. Luke 15 and 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repented more than, <clears throat> excuse me, more than over 90 and 9 just persons which need no repentance. Examine the response in the heavenly realm when repentance is brought forth. Brothers and sisters. Verse 7. I say unto you. That likewise joy shall be in heaven. Over one sinner that repented. Read the response in heaven. <clears throat> that likewise joy shall be in heaven. Over one sinner that repented. More than over ninety and nine just persons. Which need no repentance. What we're reading is a principle of human nature. Brothers and sisters, the recovery of an object in danger of being lost affords more joy than something that's safely in possession. So if I lose my pocket watch for six months and I find that pocket watch, I experience much more joy than if I never lost my pocket watch. Do you see, brothers and sisters? <laughs> so the most High said, I experience more joy, just what? Receiving one sinner back through repentance. If that sinner repent, read that again, brother, please. Luke 15 and 7. I say unto you 
that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repented. If we find, brothers and sisters, if the audience, if if there's just one sinner who repent through hearing this broadcast, brothers and sisters, read. More than over 99 just persons. See that? If, if just one person repent, brothers and sisters, we've done our job. We're happy with that. We're not about numbers. The Most High said not to be about numbers because he's telling you here, he will rejoice more over the one sinner that repenteth than the 99 who've already, that, that don't need repentance, brothers and sisters. So what did we see today? We saw a lot of principles, brothers and sisters. Number one, the title of today's lesson is the Messiah's first message. And what we discovered is the very first words of Christ's ministry was to repent, brothers and sisters. We, we discovered that repent doesn't mean just to confess. It means to change direction, brothers and sisters. One of the things we learned today that we all can be better about is to confess our specific sins. Okay, no more broad confession because it really doesn't work. Specific confession, because why? It hurts saying certain words. You're ashamed that you've done certain things. And when it comes out of your mouth, that shame should push you to God. That shame should push you to never do it again. See that, brothers and sisters? So we're learning the power of confession. We learn the power of repentance. We learn the, the power of words, brothers and sisters. According to Christ, the most important tenet in the Bible is repentance, brothers and sisters. That's why it was the first and last message he taught. The title of today's lesson, The Messiah's First Message. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.